Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first non-live, all-in-person episode of the podcast featuring Milo Riley and Alice. Hi, how's it going? I joined mm. you in the bunker down in London. I got an Avanti yeah. West Coast train. I suffered greatly, uh, and uh, you know now I'm now I'm here. I'm very very excited to be here. That's right. Yeah, we are. We're in the Enver Hosher commemorative <laughs> podcast. That's bunker. right. Yes. And with us, of course, today uh, is a uh, returning champion, in fact. I believe his third appearance, but his first in quite a while. It is uh, Commonwealth Think Tank's Matt Lawrence. Matt, how's it going? Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I was actually told it was the mm. Fritzl basement. So, you know, in some <laughs> ways, maybe that's an upgrade to have an Albanian. It depends, on the, it depends on the day, really. Yeah, <laughs> it depends on what kind of chilling crimes you're looking to be involved in. Indeed, and indeed. Look, look. A lot of stuff has been going on, right? And we are here to, as uh, almost an expression of discipline, to okay. uh, self-discipline. <laughs> self-discipline is rather than just uh, indulging all day in the continued slow-rolled collapse of the Tory party that really mm. hasn't been arrested uh, mm. ever since Boris Johnson had that suitcase of wine, um, we are actually going to talk about that for a little while, issue one correction from Corrections Department. Mm-hmm. Ah. Um, and they, then, don't, they don't get a lot of airtime on the show, but we've got like 12 people working up there on yeah. the third floor. <laughs> um, but uh, we are then going to talk with, uh, with Matt uh, a little bit about some of what Labour intends to do now that they basically are measuring up Downing Street for new, sensible, uh, low-cost, but effective curtains. That's right. Yeah, they're going to do a much cheaper job on Downing Street than Carrie Johnson did. <laughs> yeah, and Keir Starmer's going to go down to MFI. Yeah, yeah. I welcome the curtains, some, but yeah. you know, yeah. I call upon them He's to go further be... and have like maybe a Roman blind. Yeah, He's... that would be nice. Oh, uh, a bit rich for the taxpayer, though. I think Venetian blind. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, what's going to be very getting important, closer and closer people, to people don't like being reminded blind. of Italy. <laughs> so I, won't, I won't be having Venetian blinds. No, I, well, after what we experienced with um, you know, Liz Truss uh, doing uh, British things for British class interests mm. in the history of multiple British projects, some of which are directly anti-European, The Economist looking directly at it and being like, what is this, Italy? Oh, I, I saw mm. a BBC commentator call it Caracas on Thames. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, very cheap house prices there. The thing about Caracas is more stable politics than London at the moment, and for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the, the instability in Venezuela is more in other ways. It's That's not, true. It's not really yeah. The, yeah. Look, we're not getting any Silver Corp mercenary. Silver Corp comes on holiday here. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. not washing up on the shore, sort of being. Although maybe you well, know, at this you point, know, got a little you know, job for <laughs> them. Some guys, maybe. some guys from Florida. Just I've been offered a job in London. <laughs> no, so. I'm, I'm going to take a little trip to the Thames, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Look, before we get into all that, corrections. Okay. Corrections. Mm. Meta has not, in fact, cracked the technology for legs. <sighs> we, we, were, we were fooled. It was we were bamboozled. <laughs> we, we naively believed that just because they announced that they had developed the technology for legs, that they had, in fact, done that, and they hadn't. We who do a podcast about how technology companies lie to you all the time believed mm. a technology company, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. And we believe them simply because if you've got the technology for the upper body, presumably you don't really need different technology oh. for legs. 
that's just more of the same. That's just like, is is the upper body materially different from the legs in terms of what how the computer sees it? I don't think so. No, the arms, the legs of the upper body in many exactly, ways. Exactly, yeah. Uh, no, so unfortunately, while we did not mean to endorse uh, the incorrect assumption that Meta has in fact cracked the technology for legs for the upwards of a dozen people who are using Horizon Worlds, uh, we want to issue a formal apology to the listeners that we have not, we do not, in fact, endorse that. We recognize that they st- the idea still, unfortunately, does not have legs. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for someone to use that. <laughs> yeah, and I was the first. So no, look, uh, I'd just like to, um, I'd like to sort of set set us up with uh, with a little clip mm-hmm. uh, that will, um, I think, set the scene a little bit, especially for our American listeners. It has been a night of astonishing scenes at Westminster with reports of jostling, manhandling, bullying and shouting outside the parliamentary lobbies in a supposed vote of confidence in the government. The deputy chief whip was reported to have left the scene saying, I'm absolutely effing furious. I just don't effing care anymore before he resigned along with the chief whip. But we've just been told they have now officially unresigned. The Home Secretary has, however, definitely gone. In short, it is total, absolute, abject chaos. We have now had the a, a, a chaotic vote that uh, over fracking uh, that has led to the now downfall of Liz Truss's government. A fracking fracker. <laughs> <laughs> In Caracas on Thames. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> she has now uh, offered her resignation, uh, having shown uh, all of Britain exactly where the Conservative Party tips over into being a victim of its own success. Yes, sort of like hitting the bottom of the barrel, having thus begun to dig, and we've now scraped through onto the concrete floor below. Correct. Um, mm. And so she has resigned uh, after, as you said yesterday, a number of Tory grandees and whips. But Americans might not know this. The way you vote in in the House of Commons, oh, like everything else in Britain, it's primarily bullying based. <laughs> um, it's, it's you walk, you get up, and you walk into a lobby that is yes or no. Yes, and so it's, you vote quite literally with your feet. Yes, but the mm. people who are you know assigned by your party to make sure that you walk into the yes or no room correctly are called whips, and they're called that because they're nice normally. Correct. And the, unfortunately, there's been a you know a huge deviation from this standard of behaviour in that you know they're you know suplexing people through windows or <laughs> things of this nature. And and so there were reports that you know Jacob Rees-Mogg, Therese Coffey, other whips, and so on were literally grabbing recalcitrant Tories who didn't want to come out in favor of fracking, which was considered a confidence motion in the government, which would have brought them down, and literally pushing and shoving them into the right for, doorway. For the purposes of defending Liz Truss as well. <laughs> it, it's like, really, the sort of Goethe dammering for so little stakes as this. I know. Liz Truss was like, I wish someone was picking me up and shoving me through that door. Well, exactly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the only thing, right, is I guess the question I have to ask and this this is to everyone. Maybe I'll turn to, to Matt first because you've been long been a long time British politics watcher. Mm. Mm. Alas, who, yeah. who, <laughs> who could have guessed that? Kind of the at the end of this chapter of the Tory ideology would be so slapstick. Other than everyone at this table, I think we all probably guessed it. But you know what do we what do we make of that? Right, that the this thing, this project that was started by Thatcher. 
sort of coming to a head in some of the biggest oafs in the country, kind of shoving some of the biggest nerds in the country through a door. Well, I think like Toryism as a sort of political project always, always had an element of like high farce and was high camp to it, combined mm-hmm. with like yeah, you know, sort of a brutal sort of boot uh, combination. Um, right, going right back to. Thatcher, but I think in some ways, you know, we can look at uh, Truss's end and what's going to come really as sort of a much deeper story of essentially the, the stagnation of British capitalism. So if you look over sort of the long term, what we're seeing is sort of the waning dynamism of British capitalism. And what the Conservative government have tried to do over the last 12 years or so is try sort of a series of different manoeuvres, first austerity, second Brexit, third trussonomics which in its own logic was an attempt to jolt into life a very stagnant economy a stagnant unequal economy so there was some logic to it and i think in some ways the sort of bind we're going to get now is the sort of cure that will be offered up in response to the disaster of sort of truss's budget and also the maneuvers and the loss of credibility and the sort of pressure from financial markets the cure to that to buy stability will worsen the underlying condition of stagnation so you know if jeremy hunt proceeds with you know, essentially austerity 2.0 brings in sort of a set of measures that kind of stabilizes financial markets. Those same measures will double down on the economic conditions that are generating stagnant pay, inequality, and sort of, you know, the sort of malaise we're seeing across the country. And I think the fact that it was the end the end of this particular chapter of the ideology, I think it's it's right and proper that it was so slapstick because fundamentally what all of these projects have done is they've tried to animate a body that has been dead since the 1990s by applying electricity directly into its brain. Yeah, going going to the sort of Victorian cemetery with a shovel and a defibrillator. Yeah, effectively, yes. And, and what we and I think that's that's quite the, the the horror image. I think is quite useful. I mean, if you look at Marx, he uses a lot of gothic and horror images throughout mm. his writing because yeah, he was cool. Yeah, because he was cool and goth. Um, but and, but I think what we have sent, what we have had. Ever since we dis- ever since we realized that we could sort of stay on the carousel of paper growth, of inflating asset values, of largely having an economy where we just manage stuff that happens elsewhere. That's a lot of what the British capitalism, a lot of the actual thing that happens in British capitalism is just sort of managerial and services activities that are directed mostly elsewhere or at the central bank via the state, yeah. basically. Yeah, email jobs. Yeah, email jobs. Mm. Um, and... That you know the um, that when that decision was taken is kind of when the patient went terminal, you know, and it was it was decided that the model of British capitalism that we had that the Tories were there to defend they were there to defend an ownership class against various generations of rabble whether that's peasant rebels or whether that is trade unionists or whatever podcasters right? uh, people <laughs> yeah. eating yogurt and tofu and stuff yeah. from broadcast yeah. to podcast yeah. but that's what they were there to defend the, that elite from. But then that elite became so detached from the country itself that they continued to try to defend the interests of people who really weren't there anymore. And if anything, just ended up, ended up in, in so doing, sort of um, killed what was left and then have spent the last 20 years attempting to just run electric currents through a dead body. So, you know, no wonder fucking Therese Coffee is picking up a recalcitrant, <laughs> uh, you know, a fucking Johnny Mercer or whoever, mm. and physically throwing him through a, a, a door. Oh, I choose to imagine mm. it's any of the sort of like 
tougher in their own imagination story MPs. You're Mark Field, you're Steve oh, Baker, yeah. or anything oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. Like taking yeah. Mark Francois and rolling him like a bowling oh. ball. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I like the idea of Johnny Mercer having to give back his green beret because he got a man handled by <laughs> Yeah, Therese Coffee has actually been awarded it ceremonially by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think really, like, you know, they were each of these projects that were totally unconnected to any kind. They were totally unconnected to the world around them. Right. These mm. projects that were a, co- a product of a totally internal conversation. Right. Um, they all kept working in terms of they got to execute them. but They never had the result that they wanted. And so they kept executing increasingly insane programs. I, I think that's true. But there's also like an internal logic to it all. So if you go. So like. The like rentier turn, the turn of the British economy to a world in which like ownership, as you say, is fundamental. Like that's how people sort of sweat assets to generate income. It's fundamental to you know how the Britain's political economy works. I guess there's a question like, well, why did sort of that neoliberal turn happen? Like in the sort of late seventies and then obviously into Thatcherism, it wasn't just like random. It was a response to a prior sort of thing, which was the stagnation and crisis of British capitalism and indeed global capitalism. And then that then started this logic, which you've kind of described of like privatizing Commonwealth, sort of selling off assets, but also in the process, creating a political coalition based around asset ownership rather than work. And that there is a logic to that that has sustained. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see looking forwards, the, what will happen is there'll be an attempt to be like the sensibles, quote unquote, will be back in charge, which will combine austerity with an attempt to try and like ease the pressure on mortgage owners as the basic attempt as a basic Tory bargain so it's kind of like on the one hand absolutely mad that they've tried to sort of juice assets like this for ages but there is a sort of internal logic and we can kind of then see from that where it's going to sort of proceed and and also I think we've got to kind of locate this like turn to like a rentier society not in as a sort of like spasm of like well this is just madness but actually a sort of rationalized response to sort of you know slow down in global capitalism that proceeds Trust's madness by a number of decades, to put it mildly. And therefore, that actually then opens up, I think, a conversation about the solutions, which are just more than, well, we just need to get the sensibles back in charge. Well, if the sensibles get back in charge, they've got some ideas. Uh, but largely, I think their, their ideas seem, and correct me if I'm wrong to my friends, their ideas largely seem to be like, we're going to do, we're going to take up the mantle of Toryism. And we're going to do it without the nonsense. Yeah, all of the sort mm. of like commas and semicolons are going to be in the right places. And I'm going to get a very good grade for my economy. Um, yeah, oh, we're going to get I mean, some nonsense. <laughs> I mean, I think but indicative of that is, uh, I don't know if you saw that tweet or know who he is, but it's of Rupert Harrison, who used to be George Osborne's advisor. And he got into like a tete-a-tete on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now he's one of the Council of Wise Men. Exactly, running the, exactly, running the country. Yeah. Mm. And prior to that announcement... Uh, he, he'd gone into sort of argument with a series of sort of uh, commentators on Twitter, kind of defending austerity, being like, this really is what like actually made Britain much more resilient in the face of the crisis, which obviously, as lots of people were pointing out in the replies, is just like a complete misreading of of the actual consequences of austerity. But I mm. think the very fact that he was then appointed that later that day or you know, a few days later, I think is indicative of the general direction of travel and sort of intellectual sort of inheritance that what is going to come will follow and the sort of like brief trust interregnum will be, you know, sort of thrown in a pond, the ripples will disappear and we'll go back to sort of almost a sort of continuity uh, period. But I think with much more instability because the world has changed. That the regime of cheapness, of cheap money, of cheap energy, of cheap food, that has been abruptly come to an end. And I think that's going to put intense pressure on an already sort of fragile model of capitalism. It's what what we have, right, is we have the the appointment of our Mario Draghi figure in terms of Jeremy Hunt. 
mm. right? The man, the 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 current the prime minister, the sensible indeed, who has, mm. as you say, appointed a bunch of the George Osborne finance people to his actual council of wise men. Um, and I think that the thing that we're talking about here as well, right, is is the that is. It is too important, right, to to keep to maintain this kind of stability, but to maintain this kind of stability for bond traders, basically, uh, to allow politics to come too close to these decisions again. That's the whole point of the sensibles. That's the whole point of the idea of political sensibility that you know the places where politics must not tread. Exactly, and that's the thing. Like, so like, the, the sensibles bind is this, like, you know, mm. to sort of use the phrase by this economist uh, Minsky is like stability is destabilizing. So their political project is to reassure and stabilize financial markets by a series of interventions, austerity, and a series of other things that will themselves lead to the destabilization of the social fabric of the UK. Mm. And so I think you know we also like we've got stability, but it's a false stability that's coming because it will involve intense social pain and sort of amplification of all the sort of trends that are frankly going only in one direction. But, you know, it will come with a packaging that will scream, this is stability, this is, you know, this is what's needed, this is just tough, sober government. I love the idea of just being like, well, as you can see, this austerity that we've brought in, it's very, very good for a lot of the numbers. You can see like the numbers here, the interest rates, stuff like that. That's all house prices are going up. It's all good. Unfortunately, if you look at this other graph, the number of heads being clattered <laughs> off is <laughs> alarmingly <laughs> spiking. And I think we need to do something about that. But the thing is, Bartertown, that enjoyed a very, very stable economy in one sense. Mm. Um, but the social services really did leave something to be well, desired. It had a flourishing entertainment sector. That's also yeah. true. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And you know what? It enabled someone in a non-traditional relationship to take on a leadership role. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Uh, you don't know what Master and Blaster were up to. Yeah. Uh, no, so I have much no the same as the trust. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's, well, what we have now, right, To in order to, in the middle of all of this, is we, of course, have a uh, Tory leadership election where... <laughs> or do we, is the question, well, because... I can't, I can't remember the last one. When was that? Oh, Ages ago. Uh, what I was just thinking, actually, in the, at the start of the episode was, has did the period where they were choosing a new Tory leader last longer than trusted? Because oh, it felt yes, longer. it did. Yeah, I think it, it must it have did. been, It actually. was longer than six weeks. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Great. Uh, and, and it's in what I, I think because, look, the best way to understand most events in um, liberal democratic uh, politics at the moment is largely that the funniest outcome will happen. Yes. So Boris mm. back... <laughs> So we're finally getting, look, it's Britain's chance to apologize to Boris. That's right. Yes. Boris, a, a two-term non-consecutive <laughs> prime minister, but almost consecutive. Don't call it a comeback. He's been here mm. for years. But what I think is extraordinarily funny is that um, noted uh, thriller novelist uh, and sometimes TV host Robert Peston has suggested- well, Roberto Peston. Smith. Yeah. Now, uh, we haven't read his book yet. Uh, that says, there is a risk that the Russians may hack the Tory leadership election between- Sunak, Boris, and Penny Morden so far, if the election is conducted online, which they intend to do so it can be done quickly, to which to me implies the question, and this sort of implies a bigger question, what outcome is the sabotage outcome? Yeah, what, who, who are the Russians going for? Who's Putin's guy? Yeah. Of- the, the only way I can think to sabotage this would be no clear winner, somehow. <laughs> If you could get sort of like no overall control, I don't know, putting the letters in charge could not necessarily be the worst outcome so just put the letters in charge mm. no outcome and also in a very sort of sober boring thing but i th- do think it's quite interesting that the tories are yet again choosing a prime minister with a voting system electronic voting which they say which are they making illegal for trade unions mm. to ballot on and it does seem quite striking that you know, mm. that's their definition of you know 
You can choose a prime minister, but you can't choose to go on strike to like yeah, it's take wage not conditions. Important stuff, yeah. you know. No, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see uh, Zelensky make a speech where he's like, "Lettuce is great friend to Ukraine, <laughs> shoulder to shoulder, leaf to leaf." <laughs> uh, but also, it's like the other question that I think we have right is what what is left for the Tories to do given the ideas that they have. Oh, very There's a bit of copper wiring left in the walls, you know. <laughs> is there, though? I feel like yeah. we're down to sort of drywall. There's a, there's a few stainless steel forks they could yeah. set off and maybe get something yeah. for those. Sort of melting down the taps, it's, it's, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much as to say they've kind of, if you think about it, right, they have found the level to which they can cut taxes that will, like, they've they found the amount that will start, like, hurting the people that they depend on for votes. Yeah, there is, so, a, there is a lower yeah, limit yeah, somewhere. Found, we found it. They've found the lower limit that they can cut taxes to in any near term. Um, they have basically also I- identified well, that... That's, that's yeah. it. The next project is finding the lower limits of what sort of social services, what kind of social life can exist in Britain, right? Yeah. We haven't found that yet. I think when we do, the response may be somewhat more... Spicy than mm. Uh, mm. we we saw with the markets even yeah but I think that's the next project is just like how much pain will people bear yeah I think and in and the and case of Liz quite a lot oh yeah absolutely mm. I mean no that's a woman that's definitely enjoyed the last six weeks <laughs> oh <laughs> yes mm. yeah more than anyone I think <laughs> yeah um, and, and she's where she she's safe now she's back in the vac cube <laughs> <laughs> right, there is but I think there is this um there is there is this sense that. Why I sort of talk about the the not the death of Toryism, the death of certainly not the death of conservatism, but the death of this ideology of it, this form of the ideology having run out of the stuff that it does, because not again not because it was defeated at any point, but because it was a victim of its own success, it did so much of it, it it, it smoked the whole pack yes. basically. And now it's sort of hacking us <laughs> it's along. Like it's inside a dumpster that it's locked itself in. It has hotboxed that dumpster. And now it's beginning to get quite uncomfortable. Yeah. And so, you know, there is, I think, that, that real question of what will, and what will they do? What do they have? What we know, what, one thing they have done is uh, effectively, uh, if you're caught at a protest, they can just put an ankle tag on you. Oh now. sure, mm. that, that was Suella Braveman's thing yeah. before she before she resigned was even more draconian sort of like repression. That's going to be fun. Mm. That's going to make a reoccurrence. Uh, the other thing is when they're cutting, um, it, it seems likely that whatever sort of like next prime minister there is will ring fence defense spending. So because we have to continue to send you know right. various things to our great friend Zelensky, um, so everything else is going to be that much deeper. Um, Health, presumably, what little NHS there remains. Yeah, what little NHS there remains. Education plans, plans to reform social care. Like, but all, but the, the 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 worry thing, the worry here, right, is that there's already private the private healthcare coming in and, and growing. There's already like academies coming in and growing. So we know what that looks like, and there's nothing left for the Tories to do in order to just hasten the the death of these public institutions, other than just sort of wait. Mm. So a caretaker government in that sense, you think? Yeah, they are they are a caretaker government watching the watching the final sort of the bits of dust settle on what they have done for the last twelve, arguably forty years. And big Sam Allardyce brought in for the last <laughs> eight weeks of the season, shaking yeah. his head on the touchline. <laughs> and there's a sense among the right of the Tory Party or the people of Nigel Farage and GB News types 
There's the sense, there's this refrain that you can see among them that, ah, oh, the globalists won. Everyone is now a big remainer. We've got Mario Draghi coming in the, the form the, of like Hunt. sort of recurring and now total humiliation of my ideals is, you know, just proves the total victory of my enemies. Uh, and their and their power, you know, and and you know, I mean, we say like, you know, they they the, these guys, your Dan Wootens, whatever, Dan mm-hmm. Dan Hooten, mm-hmm. my Dan Hooten, Dan Hooten, Dan Hooten, Holleran has Rooten Tooten Wooten, Rooten Tooten Wooten has essentially yeah. gotten everything he asked for, right? All yeah. of these remain globalist people, or whatever, like they're doing sort of what they wanted. Like, there's nowhere left to go on Brexit. You can't Brexit more at this point. Oh, I mean, you say that now sort of deploying our new foreign secretary to the channel with a big hacksaw trying to like cut off the channel tunnel mm. yeah just just exploding northern ireland to resolve that <laughs> issue you know yeah well I, just, I if i was going to guess and this is a complete hostage fortune I, i'd imagine kind of the opposite in the sense like there might be rhetorical plays on europe but i think essentially the next conservative government or next well next prime minister will pursue essentially Austerity. They'll look to the Bank of England to provide them more flexibility than currently. You know, it sounds like they'll be able to, but they'll, there's always more flexibility in a way than um, you know normal politics says there is. So there'll be a mix of austerity. I think there will be a sort of retightening of relationship with Europe, albeit sort of a loose, you know, still very loose and still with like antagonistic rhetoric. Um, there'll be tax rises. There'll be a big pitch on trying to protect homeowners somehow, and therefore some sort of like Bailey Hunt compact. Um, and I think they're still on kind of high, and then definitely the sort of, you know, a cranking up of authoritarianism. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I kind of think it will, it will feel quite like the 2010s, albeit with much higher interest rates uh, with, you know, wages have not grown for 20 years, you know, real term wages, um, you know, benefits, you know, sort of on the floor, et cetera. So I think that it will feel quite a lot like the 2010s in a way, I think, with an added dose. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it will, we'll, we'll see. Um, but and I don't think there'll be enough because it sense it feels like there's a, a sense like you know the tide's gone out on them. But I do I do think mm-hmm. there'll be there will be a big concerted push to be like hold on a second we can stabilize this and I don't think they can the, the cat's out of the bag. But I think you know I think they're not going to like I think they'll the, the sort of, if it's us of you know restoration of sort of you know Osborne era people I think there will be a sort of real push to be like no we are come on come on financial markets we are ultimately your friends and come on uh, mm. type attitude dare we say uh, the magic words first is tragedy then is farce <laughs> mm. well I mean this, that's the other thing right is that there's this of these guys the the, the root and toot and bootens you know they, they've said essentially right this is this is the, the globalist coup this is the they've taken away the democracy they took our Boris they took mm. our Liz uh, and now we've got they get Jeremy Hunt the guy that like Basically, the British deep state, for whatever reason, has decided is their guy. Sure, <laughs> you know because like, he's so boring. They need well, a boring a guy. Thing, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, we got him, and uh, yeah, there is there. I think they they do have this correct sense that this is profoundly undemocratic. That governing four and two bond markets, right, rather than trying to manage inter- the international on behalf of people living in the country, managing people in the country on behalf of the international uh, is profoundly undemocratic and extremely weird but all of the like right-wing like gb news people all all they really care about is the fact that this means that people like them aren't going to be on the news anymore well one thing that i i I heard was that the corbyn team sort of wargamed this possibility of the bond markets doing as they did in response to corbyn being elected prime minister and 
I I don't know how it worked out in their scenario. I don't I don't want to compare the two in the sense that like pouring water and pouring fuel on a fire, you know, both pouring liquids on it, right? But uh, yeah, no, I I think mostly what I get out of this is how unprepared the right of the Tory Party were to get everything that they wanted. Yeah, I think that's going to be right. I think like it's almost like that metaphor, like the dog caught up with a car unexpectedly, mm. and like yeah. they're like, "Whoa!" I, I think <laughs> so. There's two things. I think there's like there is an inter- interesting counterfactual of like if they'd have got their if they were sort of smarter and they've got their sort of timings better. So if they'd have gone with, "Oh, we're going to cut," yeah, we're going to cut public spending first because we had too much overspending during COVID, and then they were like, "Okay, the OBR says that's just about okay," and then they cut taxes and they just did it in a slightly different order. You know, it's not that like the bond market is suddenly like egalitarian warriors who are like, no, this is unacceptable because it's inequality. It's because it's like this is like you are obviously just incompetent, like the moron premium, as the sort of sure. FT was mm. saying. So the, I think the woke bond trader. We had one of those on the show. Well, exactly, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's right. And then the war gaming. I think that, you know, as, yeah, that's a very nice metaphor of like the water and the the fire. And it's like I think you know, even if you had loads of water as a sort of left program, the bond markets are always going to look at you differently. And there's no, you know, there's only so much you can do. But I mean, I think there are nonetheless. I think a sort of fatalism that says, well, therefore, bond markets will just completely inhibit our room for manoeuvre. That we are, we lack autonomy is definitely the wrong thing to take from this. And that's a slight mm. like risk of like we told you so. And then the final thing would be on the, I mean, on the sort of crime betrayal. I mean, isn't that like the essence of like far right politics? Like the politics of betrayal of like some essence. That is, that's it. And that's mm. just like inevitable on whether it's Brexit, whether it's tax cuts, whether it's whatever it is. That is like the sort of beating heart of their politics. Well, the left-wing government will just have to deal with the woke bond traders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just that. think Call that there's... Like, listen up, Yuxel. <laughs> there was no way that, Larry, that a, a sub like Liz Truss was going to like bring the bond markets to heel, and that's just all there is to it. Yeah. Subprime. Uh, well, mm. also, right, it's the... Um, the, the thing to the thing to remember here, I think this is sort of moving into more labor territory, right? Because they're acting as though they are a government in waiting once again. Mm-hmm. Um, they are. I, can I say how much I hate that Starmer's strategy of waiting it out has been vindicated? Hundred percent. I mean, it was it was going to work. You just had to wait. Yeah, just do all of your sort of like factional knifing mm-hmm. leftwards and just you know remain calm, and assured. All it cost was experiencing the actual crisis as opposed to avoiding it. <laughs> all, all it costs was like materially harming the country. Yeah. Uh, uh, hmm. the la- last, last thing actually before we move on to, on to labor as well is like I can't see it not look I don't try to make predictions very often mm. but I there are sort of I, who else is going to stand that could probably that could get enough votes from MPs other than other than the three of Boris, I, mm, uh, Mordaunt, I, 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 I think the Mordaunt years would be very difficult for me personally. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would, I would hope that. But the members, they love our Boris. They do. They will never. They, that means that means that Boris is going to return at the country's moment of greatest need. Well, I understand Sir Graham Brady is, is trying to, like, rat fuck him, but I, I, we were talking about this earlier, and the, the thing is, if Boris comes back, essentially what he will have done is gotten a month off work for the Queen dying, and then yeah. just being back, you know? <laughs> it's was, like a leave of absence. <laughs> took, took a very short sabbatical to not finish the book, and, mm. you know, just uninterrupted. And I mean, if I was to if I was to wonder, right, like that, none of the not, at this point, right, all of the um, all of these sort of you know stuffed shirts uh, of the Conservative Party now um, associated with what's going on now and this uh, sort of full frontal assault on their uh, exact uh, uh, constituency, right? 
they would probably end up being relatively trounced by Keir Starmer. But Boris is entertaining. You mm. get the fun guy back. <laughs> I, I, first is fast, second is fast, third is fast. Yeah. It continues. Yeah, it's just, it's a lot of fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's consistent. He's yeah, mystic that's consistent. True. Yeah, that's true. You get the you get you know you get like you know Uncle Fun back, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I don't know maybe all of his his lockdown stuff that's really boring. That's so old. We've had Tresonomics since then. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I, that, I, that then does point to Morden, who does combine that like high camp that I was talking about earlier yeah. with like you know a sort of. But I, I think ultimately, right, is that there is there's a, a there's a lot of opinions now on the defeat of trustonomics and what that means, mm-hmm. you know. And I I think that the Labour Party appears to be, as it currently stands, appears to be gleefully taking on the idea, which is that trustonomics is bad, and you know it was bad because it was hammered by bond traders. Right? Mm. That seems to be sure. the idea that's taking root, and consequently. Anything structural, anything that angers bond traders will be, you know, as destabilizing as destructive. As opposed mm-hmm. to the correct idea, which is, mm-hmm. you know, trustonomics was stupid. And that's why sure. it was funny that they were surprised when they got hammered by bond traders. Yes. Who they were trying to accommodate well, rather than confront. It was, it was a revolutionary mm-hmm. change in the wrong direction, yeah. which is a very funny thing for a country to have done, I think. <laughs> Mm. I mean, you know, never, never, never count Britain out when it's time to do a revolutionary <laughs> change in the wrong direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think this is this goes back, in fact, to something Starmer said today. Uh, what Starmer said today, um, I'm actually just going to find the exact quote. He says, when we talk about economic stability, I want to be frank. The damage the Tories have done uh, means things are going to be really tough now and during my labor government. We cannot take any risk with public finances and first have to restore economic stability. And I think if you just switched out the party names, George Osborne could be saying that in 2010. Like it, it, that is exactly what they said. Yeah, I think that's the sort of big political battle now to sort of contest that framing and say, as you were saying just now, it's not sort of borrowing to invest or borrowing to spend. It's the content of what you're borrowing to do was the issue mm-hmm. that there was a moron premium. That this is like obviously a farcical way to try and restore sort of you know dynamism to a sort of stagnant economy. And so, like, if Labour do retreat into you know the sort of framing there could easily be read as a retreat into, right, you know, sound money, quote unquote, you know, we're going to retrench our spending. On the other hand, you know, they have publicly committed so far since, um, since sort of, well, I think it was, you know, on Johnny Reynolds on BBC Breakfast for the American listeners, this might seem very strange, but uh, on the BBC Breakfast, they did, you know, commit to uprating benefits, uprating pensions, mm. com- committing to the 28 billion. So I think, you know, I think it is an open sort of tension as to which way it will go. And I think it's, you know, part of the role of, you know, think tanks, commentators, et cetera, to try and really stress, actually, it was the content, not the, you know, nature of borrowing to invest. Clearly, borrowing now is is in a different environment to where it was where, you know, as, you know borrowing which were on the floor. Um, but I still think, like, clearly the political battle now is to make sure there's still an expansive role for public investment, for public coordination of economic direction. I think the dovetail of that is to kind of really insist on, you know, there's a lot of wealth around that we could tax, which would then be like almost like the left response to like, how do you stabilize the market? It's not by cuts at all. That's going to be completely resisted. It's by, you know, an agenda to tax the rich. And that opens up fiscal space for the type of things we need in this country. Yeah, because if we want to talk about where a lot of the money... Well, you can t- we can think about this thing in two ways, right? We can think about, well, where is the money? 
Uh, a mm. lot of the money is uh, in, in, in Frank's house, in Bill's house. Well, in, Bill's, in, in Frank's yeah. empty house, and Frank yeah. is an oligarch. Yeah, exactly. It's in Frank's mattress. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Frank's actually unfortunately fallen out of his window <laughs> while padlocked into a suitcase uh, yeah. in an unfortunate uh, suicide attempt. <laughs> he was too stressed. Uh, <laughs> we need to talk more about mental guilt. <laughs> if only Prince Gary had gotten to Gim. <laughs> but... but you know that like ultimately right you know that what we this is in it's in two areas it's in what is owned by um by individuals in terms of you know money often squirreled away in terms of also like inflated asset price cuz like the, the asset prices are still very inflated right they're t- they didn't just deflate. They're not back to normal. You're telling me that it's not like sort of divine writ that a house in London should cost 28 trillion quid. <laughs> Weirdly, mm. uh, well, actually, depending on which version Sorry, of the Bible. Sorry, that's now 29 trillion. Uh-huh. Um, um, but at the same time, a lot of it is in what we don't, a lot of it is, is in what we don't own, what we've chosen to not own. You know, not what we've chosen to take, but what we've chosen to give away. For example, I believe you said the, um, the Malaysian government owns more of our offshore wind capacity than we do. Yeah, so the UK's offshore wind capacity, roughly half is publicly owned, but I think the UK government owns 0.03%, which is less than the Malaysian government, less than the city of Munich, about 2,000 times less than the Danish government, etc., etc. So yeah, we, we have fantastic. some- Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, really sort of <laughs> long-term thinking there. Yeah. And- yeah. I just, yeah, just the the eternal thing in British politics, which is that the British government must never own anything, even if it's like a big money printer. They're like, yes. no, it wouldn't be, fairness, it wouldn't they be do right. Kind of own the Bank of England. That is true. <laughs> that, that is the one money printer, the literal money printer, where yeah. it makes things bad when you turn yes. it on. Yeah. But as opposed to the money printer, which doesn't do anything bad when yeah. you turn yeah. it on, a wind farm. They're like, no, it wouldn't be right. For us to own that, it wouldn't be proper. It wouldn't be cricket. Yeah. For the, a private company has to own it, and then we need to rent it back from them. We have to run government like a business, which means it can never make good investments, yeah. and it has That's to prevent right. all of its like subsidiaries from ever making good investments too. Well, I mean, mm. the, the thing is, like, labor. As we're talking about, as we're going to get into more, right? There's now much talk on the sort of about the future of Britain. As okay, well, this was a catastrophic failure. This was now an idea whose time has come. Um, that how what lessons are to be learned from it and i think really there are two lessons which is number one don't do thatcherism unless there's an oil boom (laughs) and a lot of public resources to distribute and number two is try not to be in charge of a country during when the fed is um is is tightening rather than easy generally speaking you have to let sort of socialists and social democrats build up the capacity of your state for 50 60 years before you can go slashing and burning through it otherwise you're just sort of slashing and burning through stubble yeah Mm -hmm. that's my bone i'm cutting yeah Yeah. (laughs) and you can do that as long as but you can do that you can run on fumes Mm. but the fumes have to be coming from the big money printer in america yes and as long if if neither of those things are the case you should try to avoid being in government Mm -hmm. basically well, uh, thus the Tory backbenchers yeah. who are like a spell in opposition would do us good, sort of thing. I mean, I, I, realistically, mm. I, I don't, I don't think they conceive of it that way. Mm. But re- I think they, they do. There is a kind of understanding that they're out of options because they're out of stuff. There's no more no, new North Sea oil, and the credit's expensive. Yeah. So and, what and the meanwhile, fuck are they going to do? Keir Starmer is mm. standing, you know, five feet wide in the doorframe, going, "Mum said it's my turn on the Xbox." Yeah, mm. yeah, but my turn on the Xbox, but like. 
I don't know. I welcome the Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're stuck on a save file with mm. you know one health and a wooden sword. You're about to go up against yes. you know one of the various Dark Souls bosses. Um, and you know, so this is it's not exactly an easy situation that they're inheriting. And their first instinct, as as we've seen Starmer say, is to largely um, make the same mistakes that led his pre- let led his future predecessors. That's a bit of odd tense there. Mm. To this the exact perfect. position, crisis the, on infinite Starmers. The predecessors that will have been <laughs> by the time he. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is, is the predecessors that will have been, right, His is to re- repeat all of their mistakes. That mm. seems to be the idea that is not in the party in general, not in the British left in general, certainly, but in the bit of the Labour Party that seems to control most of what it says and does. Well, Riley, those who don't repeat history are doomed to learn it. So <laughs> think about that. <laughs> A very wise man said that. <laughs> right, so... um. So thinking right, I'm more about public ownership, which is kind of, I think, and, and this is something that I sort of gleaned from some of your writing, if I can sort of tar a conclusion, is the difference between um, what has been, what the Tories have been doing and what Labour sort of wants to do and the way to actually, say, build state capacity to make yourself not just a better place to live, but also, dare I say it, a more credible place for capital to want to do business is fundamentally to invest in and own things. Basically, that ownership kind of is the difference. Yeah, I mean, I think ownership and sort of property relations kind of are the fundamental dynamic that structure mm. social relations under almost you know any economy, whether it's you know sort of frontier capitalism, socialism, whatever society is, it's kind of like the sort of nodal force of how we organise society, economic and social relations. Uh, and I think the thing about public ownership, which is you know an attractive thing, is that it is flexible. So you can run it. You know, can, you could run a sort of publicly owned wind farm as a for-profit entity, or you could run it as something that is run at cost and actually sort of helps reduce bills. You know, distribute surplus towards local communities or you know, the public as a whole. And the, the whole point is, the, by comparison, this sort of for-profit corporation that's you know privately owned uh, and sort of owned you know, has shareholders. It's got one thing only in its sort of DNA, which is to sort of maximize, you know, the wealth of shareholders, the returns to shareholders. And so there's it's very rigid and inflexible. And so like when we look at the sort of series of crises and the sort of time horizons of those crises, you know, sort of the, the sort of climate crisis as a whole, housing, you know, really any challenge we're looking at as a society, that rigidity versus of you know private for profit modes of delivery and provision versus the sort of flexibility. Democratic forms of public ownership at multiple scales, from local authorities to the UK to you know the Scottish or Welsh government to city authorities. Th- there is a lot more flexibility in terms of like what do we, what do we, what matters? What are we trying to do? How are we trying to provide for people? Um, so I think that there's a huge amount there. And then I mean to step back, I mean, private, own- um, sorry, public ownership should be located in a. Oh, wide you don't want to be stream. making that mistake in your in your role. The pu- private, I mean public. <laughs> <laughs> The two privatization and the nationalization buttons very close together. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That sort of sweating face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think to step back, I do think public ownership is definitely a fundamental part of it. But I think it's going to be part of a sort of multiple steps, which is why I think you know, yes, it's you know a tight spot right now. But actually, there are ways out of this that can you know. I don't know if you saw some of the you know, that ITV report. Um, Last night on the news, of, sort of it was interviewing three people, and it's open with the sort of um, so woman in retirement who basically like can't afford to, you know, sort of you know, basically like 
heat like food half the time and then another family would i mean it's just obscene levels of poverty that we can really abolish if we have a different political strategy um and that would involve much higher taxation um of you know wealthy asset holders um to your point and indeed just like you know higher income earners and that would give us some of the flexibility to increase spending to abolish some of these like obscene uh, and completely ultimately unnecessary forms of deprivation we're seeing in the uk but then to do that you also need to reform the state transform and democratize the state which is where sort of you know public ownership as a role for anchoring and directing the economy comes in directing it towards social and environmental and sort of you know pro you know us goals rather than pro accumulation goals and then sort of you know you layer that in with sort of democratization of work through you know the expansion of collective bargaining you know you sort of roll out sort of much more expansive and generous welfare system that kind of alleviates rather than sort of is punitive towards people's lives so i think like there's always much more you know there's no denying that sort of the the global environment means there's less room for maneuver potentially than there was maybe you know when you know borrowing rates were so low but there's always much more room for maneuver particularly when you coordinate between central banks and treasuries there's always much more room for maneuver and some of the sort of obscene you know insecurities and injustices and indignities that people have to endure in this country that are politically driven we actually do have the tools, even though, you know, things might be tougher. Now, we absolutely have the tools to challenge and ultimately abolish those. We could get rid of Mr. Blobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's <laughs> quite hard. That is, uh, you know, that's a cultural, yeah. you know, the absolutely Guys in guys in like stripy jackets on a trading floor, just head in hand. <laughs> Blobby is being executed. <laughs> well, that's in- why they love him, you know, so similar plumage. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Noel my- Edmund works at BlackRock. You know, that's it. So he'd be like, <laughs> fuck this, I'm out, you know. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think my, my question, right, is what we what we have seen over the last, I guess, I think since, since, since Thatcherism, we have seen attempts to reconceive of British capitalism as something else, right? Thatcherism came about because a, one form of British capitalism had died. Um, we had a new one. A lot of currents was running killed through. off. Yeah, it was killed off. In fact, mm. um, and like Mr. Blobby, yeah, like mm. as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Capitalism softly uttering Blobby. <laughs> but Blobby. What, what, what we, as you said earlier, right, is we had these attempts to kind of rejuvenate British capitalism, to reinvent it. Of which, you know, Corbynism was one. Right. It was going. It was to say, look, British capitalism is broken. Here are the things that will that, that will fix it, and we're going to do that by creating broad-based social legitimacy for an economic system broadly called British capitalism. That's what that kind of was. There were others, as you say. There was um, there was austerity. There was Brexit. These ideas that we could we can redo British capitalism. There and once again, right? It seems as though what Starmer is going to be forced into. Right, what you say is very nice. I, I I think it will be great if it could happen, and I think it can happen. But I think that there are powerful people in the Labour Party who are resistant to that idea of transforming British capitalism in that way. And I think my question again is, will they simply be forced by circumstances to, let's say, transform British capitalism in the way you're talking about? Or will they just um, continue with their narrow orthodoxy and fail again? I, I do want to say I think it's important to give them the option, right? I think that's the value of having the sort of the the serious case, if you like, the like responsible, prudential case for like a, a sort of a left transformation of the economy, even if they choose to reject it. So mm. you know, it, it's there, right? Yeah. It's on the table. And I, I and I don't want and again, this is not me being be trying to be a cynic or a doomer, right? It's it's my question rather is if this if we're basically at a situation where 
because there has been infinite essentially managing upwards for global financial markets more or less and purely cultural managing downwards just trying to change the entertainment that's on the TV in the form of the form Executing of Brexit, Mr. Blomkamp yeah, exactly <laughs> right but that most of the managing downwards has been a managing of the what we give to you is culture we will vanquish your enemies we will humiliate the tofu eating your shitty nephew that you hate and all this we will humiliate those people the podcasters yeah. the po- from broadcast to podcast from broadcast to podcast um, and I don't like how that's become a sort of like um, homily that we're doing, like a call and response yeah. thing. Yeah. Like from broadcast to podcast, and also with you. Yeah, And from podcast to broadcast. <laughs> but right, that that in in managing sort of Britain on behalf of say bond traders and stuff, on behalf of global credit markets, on behalf of capital, uh, but, but very again very international. It's not a very capital. rousing speech, that yeah. is it? No. <laughs> right but, for the bond traders, <laughs> for global capital. Yeah. Well, that's why it has to sub it in with. Uh, Don't you hate your nephew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do hate my nephew. Get rid of him. <laughs> but right, is, is that that that's sort of no longer possible, largely because we've made ourselves an unattractive environment for the bond traders, basically. And so my question to you is really sort of, this is this is all good. This is, but will they be able to? Um, manage the manage the British economy for the people who live here. Essentially, like, is that something that is in the realm of possibility? So, I think there's a couple of the, the thing I just sketched is, yeah, I think it's fair to say that's not quite where labour is right now. Uh, that's that's definitely true. I think. Secondly, there are some things which I think you know broadly would would do mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. So, you know, whether you look at you know them attempting to sort of reset employment relations, so sort of a much greater role for collective bargaining. Some kind of like nuts and bolts things that aren't particularly sexy, but that would make us a material difference mm. to people's lives. The big question is really, yes, okay, that's great, uh, and to be welcomed. But do they address the sort of like the deep currents? Are they sort of like sur- going along on the surface and w- like riding the wave, or are they addressing the deep currents or that are sort of un- you know in the ocean, the oceanic depths that are kind of moving British capitalism around its you know productivity crisis, around its investment crisis? Around that combination of stagnation and inequality, you saw that fucked up ocean floor looking guys like a fish with a light exactly. hanging in front of its exactly. face. So, so, so it's we got welcome. like London housing market written on it. <laughs> so we welcome these things. We call upon them to go further. Yeah, we exactly. do. We're exactly. into the Mariana. Yeah, and, and this is what we're driving at. Right? The question yeah. is like, you know, that that fish with the light bulb. Mm. Yeah, you know, is it just gonna be like in the dark, the profit in the sort of you know oceanic depths, or will there be actually saying, okay, hold on, you're right. There's a structural crisis that needs a sort of response that is mm. equal to them. And that requires institutional response. It requires fiscal and monetary response. But it also requires, you know, I guess the sort of social and collective movements to try and push that forward. I think on the on the plus side, mm. you know, currently it looks like there might well just be one of those sort of like, you know, sort of affairs in the tides of men style elections where it's just like people have just had enough and there will just be, and so there might be a sort of very significant like, um, you know, non-Tory majority in the mm. House of Commons, which will give you the you know, flexibility to, Really redesigns of institutional fabric of the UK's, mm. you know, capitalism. That couldn't also, though, lead to caution. It could say, "Well, we're going to win. Don't do anything more. That's it." And like, you know, obviously, Kirstarmer, don't say anything. <laughs> don't say, yeah. Anything you say could be Kirstarmer acting, <laughs> acting like a guy who's been arrested with a kilo of cocaine. This, this is where like, the prosecutorial no sort of like uh, background comes in to help him because he, he'll know mm. this. You know, it's yeah. shut the fuck up Friday. <laughs> I don't have to answer that. <laughs> and, and, and so this, this is sort of what You're I'm driving. Vote at. for me anyway. No comment. <laughs> As you say, right, is that 
is that the tendency, I think, of the sensibles, of, of the idea of the current sort of labor administration as a kind of probably where things are going to go, unless, of course, our Boris charms the pants off the entire country, um, right, is, is, is... I think this fucked up looking fish <laughs> from the bottom of the ocean, you know, it's an ugly chap, but it could be a great British fish. You could have it with <laughs> chips, you know, and I think we can bring that fish back. We can go down there and we can bring this fish and we can get it together with Mr. Blobby and we can have a house party. <laughs> right, but this, that, that, you know, should this happen, right, is that I think their, their inclination will be to move things around on the surface. Um, and mm. I think you can actually see some of that with the plans that have been released so far for Great British Energy, which is, again, it, m- much, much, much better than the alternative of not having it, mm. right? It's, it's shuffled over a low bar, a sort of limbo <laughs> bar that's like a tripping hazard. Yeah. Where, where, I mean, I think that, um, or something like Great British Energy doesn't exist to sort of confront uh, the private sector uh, in, in the energy market. It doesn't exist to change the relationship, the relationship between, in, between um, sort of private equity companies or foreign governments, indeed, that own the generation capacity or that the fact that our grid for some reason is privately owned, or the relationship between retailers and energy consumers, what it does is it exists to take a public stake in and crucially de-risk and crowd in private capital for investments that many of them don't want to undertake. It's that That's the kind of thing, right, that can cost quite a bit of money and can make an improvement, but it's not the kind of institutional transformation. It is a tinker. It's a surface current. So, so for, re- so for readers, for listeners, maybe you make transcripts, who knows? But for, for listeners who don't know what Great British Energy is, it's sort of at Labour's conference, they announced this idea of creating a publicly owned energy company that would generate energy. Um, and so sort of their aim would be to be the size of EDF, which is France's nationally owned energy company, which produces the vast majority. I think it produces over 100% of um, France's electricity needs and sort of exports it. So I think it is a very good test case of exactly the type of you know fork in the road that we are facing in terms of a potential labour administration. So I think absolutely, if it is a if it's low bar, if it sort of pursues a sort of like unambitious uh, agenda, it could end up doing largely what you're saying. It could be a sort of a small slice of a broadly privately owned market in which the resources of the commons, the wind, the waves, you know, sort of solar radiation, which really is inherently social becomes privatized, becomes a resource of either foreign governments, private equity, multinationals, and you have sort of, you know, GBE uh, operating a few wind farms here or there, uh, but not doing much. I think in its defense, my understanding is it's not just kind of like investing in small projects and de-risking. It's de-risking frontier technologies, which, you know, is, you could argue, potentially useful, but it's also investing and actually owning and operating its own sort of you know asset base so it's not just being like oh here's i'm owning five percent stake it will own wind farms is my and own solar farms etc but it could obviously be like it produces three percent of british energy and you know will that do will that produce bills will that mean the wealth of the commons returns to the commons will it sort of you know accelerate climate justice will it onshore good unionized green jobs you know at scale a question mark on the other hand they have committed it to be the size of EDF. Now, you could say, well, that's nonsense. Who cares? But on the other hand, they have publicly committed to being the size of EDF. And so in some ways, the opening, and I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but the opening is say, okay, great. Well, EDF is a vertically integrated company with its own supply arm, uh, which sort of speaks to your point there. It's a company that at scale required significant investment, but very significant benefits. We can just see that in the energy crisis. French bills have gone up by 4%, British bills by 65%. 
not just because yeah, you know, because we're better than the fucking French. Well, exactly, you know, so oh, yeah, yeah, we exactly. pissed all over that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's that's mm. our bond yield difference now as well, mm. basically. Exactly. Um, but um, yeah, so the you know, so it's not the only thing, but that is a big part of it, the fact that this is a nationalised, you know, public champion. And so you know, there is an opening there to say, okay, fine. Right now, it could be the much smaller scale ambition, but we'll take you at your word. You know, and we're going to push to try and say, right, okay, well, look, this is the investment. This is the sort of capital expenditure you need to invest to build 50 gigawatts over the next 10 years. So sort of the, the door has been opened a crack and now is yeah. the time to like insert a sort through. of left-wing boot exactly. into it. Mm, we yeah. need a left-wing Therese coffee to yes. throw us yes. through the door. Genuinely, yes. Yeah. So I think both, both that. So I think ultimately like it's Anchorage and the idea of like the resources of the commons should be, you know, you know, developed for the you know the public and the sort of you know the sort of commons, uh, mm. not privatized, and that's the sort of fundamental upstream argument. And then downstream is like reduces bills. It gives you the flexibility to sort of prioritize different goals. It allows you to plan rather than just be led by the market. But I think so. I think it's anchored in like left ideas of pla- democratic planning, decommodification, and it's such like you know this is like if it's like at its you know, ambitious sure, scale. Sure, sure. Um, but in some ways, I think the beauty of it potentially is it should, we should try and mobilise behind it, like not just the left, because it, you know if you look at polls, the idea of like these principles are actually very you know very very popular in terms of energy in particular. You know the public are very behind the idea of energy not being something which basically is crucifying households, but you know over, you know has just been like breaking the households you know budget of you know, millions of people in this country. Mm. It has been a source of extraordinary profit. You know, sort of, you know, generators are expected to make, what was the treasury thing? Sort of 170 billion pounds of excess profits in the next two years. I think there's a sort of... For working so hard. For working so (laughs) hard. And so I think there's a deep sense, like, that could build actually quite a big political block around demands that then can be put on to say, like, well, you've got this institution, go a lot further, go a lot faster. I'm not saying that will work, but I do think there's, you know, like, majorities, political coalitions always constructed. They're, like, not sort of just, like, arrive from nowhere. And so I think this is an opening to say, great, okay, here's an institutional form. Here's a potential benefit. Here's the trajectory. If you're serious, you need to push on. And if not, why not? Because then you're letting us down. You're, like, you know, just, like, taking us for a ride. So I think there, you know, I think, yes, I do mm. completely accept the points you're making. But I think on the other hand, you know, I think just saying, well, that's, it's just nothing. When they've actually already formally committed to something bigger, I think there's a sort of political tension there that's worth exploring and trying to sort of mm-hmm. and, push. And that political tension, I think, exists in Starmer reacting to Trustonomics by saying, it will be difficult, we will have to balance the books. And then it's up to not just saying, oh, well, that means he's not going to do it, but rather it means that it's now um, time to look at, you know, the, the fact that the Tories with an unassailable majority tried to do things to again their project of reforming british capitalism that they couldn't do and they couldn't do that because of uh not not you know not just because of people embarrassing them on television but because of mass campaigns to like threaten to not pay energy bills and so on and so on and that to suggest that relying on starmer to just uh get in and make it kind of bearable isn't going to work because he will run up against the exact same constraints unless in my opinion he is essentially compelled in much the same way as the Tories were compelled by popular pressure and not just mass dissatisfaction, but actual organizing that actually did happen, mm. right? Plus to, the woke bond traders. Yeah, plus the woke bond mm, traders, right. right? But that, that, and if that, does not, if that doesn't happen, then I think the current labor leadership is more likely to default to something less ambitious, but they can be forced to do what is actually necessary. Yeah, I think... That's exactly. I think that the idea that anyone can say, 
okay, okay, Simon's number 10, right, great, relax, that's it. I mean, I think no one is really saying that. We're in a responsible pair of hands. We're in a, we're in a correct pair of hands. We're in a managerial pair of hands. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Mm. The, the, ha- the hands, you know, have it. But, um, mm. yeah, so I think it's absolutely right that, like, you, you know, sort of campaigns like enough, enough is enough, mm. don't pay, climate movements, you know, the whole sort of, you know, tapestry of movements and sort of social power that's trying to sort of coalesce to say, like, you know, we've had enough and we can leverage ourselves into a better future out of this crisis, obviously should not displace, should be, like, remobilize and extend and say, like, you know, try and put, you know, sort of in, in any future sort of um, Labour government. And and energy is a source of Because, I mean, I mean, energy, like, I think energy is, like, you know, it is the fundamental basis. Like, metabolism is the basis. How we organize flows of energy is, like, the fundamental political question in a way. Um, and I think you can kind of build a big political campaign about it because it's not just about like how you turn your lights on. It's about the fact workers are going, you know, are sort of tired at the end of the day. It's because, you know, the regulated metabolism of capitalism is like, you know, bearing down on working class people and making their lives really tough. Why are children going hungry when they go to school? Why are like almost over 50% of people on universal credit in the last month skipping meals? This is a question of like metabolism about like how we distribute energy in our economy as you can unite a sort of wider sort of political campaign to say, like, there really should be a basic energy standard, whether that's literally electricity in your home or the basic calorific intake we all need to live decent, thriving lives. And you mobilize that on all fronts and you put as much pressure as you can with argumentation, you know, demonstrations in the street, organized labor, think tanks trying to provide solutions, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, you know, I don't, there's, I don't think anyone should be thinking at all, like, oh, well, It'll, just, it'll be all right on the night if, you know, in two years' time. Or indeed time. the opposite, that it won't be all right because these people are unpersuadable. The bureaucracy, well, exactly, exactly, exactly. The bureaucracy uh, and the leadership will be against you, but it doesn't mean that that means that they'll win. It means they won once, you know, but what you're seeing is a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of leadership that's in a much more powerful position in terms of the government being beaten, again, not exclusively by woke bond traders, but by actual movements from sure. actual here. And, and like some of this sort of like um, astamorous sort of like knifing leftwards, that comes from a position of perceived vulnerability as much as strength, I think. It's mm-hmm. like th- this uh, fact that you may be in number 10 in a sort of like uncontrollable situation almost where mm-hmm. you're very vulnerable and you may be sort of at the whims of 18 trillion new Labour MPs who you've barely had time to like vet or select or any of this. Uh, I, I think offers a tremendous possibility. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, we could have Keir Starmer in a caftan going, we need to realign the notion's chakras. <laughs> because ultimately, right, what we are seeing now is the old basically having sort of died. You're saying that, yeah, in the new world, yeah. it's it's not struggling to be born yet. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, the, the parents have called the hospital. They've been told there's going to be a 16-hour wait and they're <laughs> yeah. thinking about getting a taxi. But the mm. But, like, this is... The, the, the sort of moment of opportunity is that the old world, it's not just dying. Mm. It is now dead. Sure. It has mm. died now. And, you know, they're, again, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. There's, and, there's a doctor there, like, rubbing its eyebrow and checking its <laughs> pupil dilation. Mm. And, and the strategy of keeping it twitching by sending electricity through it has, in one sort of semi-brawl in the House of mm. Commons, also sort of died. And this is why mm. I talked about um, this is why I kept going back to the idea of essentially any, even a future Starmer government being forced to do things, of being forced to do certain things because, we, and, and because we've seen Tory governments with unassailable majorities being unable to pass anything and largely reacting to events around them, which 
by all sort forms of common sense shouldn't be possible. That shouldn't be happening. And so that's why I say it stands to reason that a labor government with a similarly unassailable majority, but also, let's say, a kind of unwillingness to do what is necessary or a, a, a ideological uh, mm. predisposition not to or whatever, can also be forced by events. I think the question is, are you going to organize to be one of the events? Am I tough enough? Hell yes, I'm <laughs> tough enough. Yeah, I, I think this is why I've kind of been taking the view that, like, instead of giving up on electoral politics, it's like it's a tool in the toolbox, right? And you should, as much as possible, just kind of keep your powder dry because there would be a moment like this. And th this is now the moment, right? This is a moment of immense vulnerability for the labor right and one which we can capitalize on, perhaps. Absolutely. Inshallah. So, I get. I you know, I didn't. I didn't know that this was going to be an optimistic ending. <laughs> we can pressure Keir Starmer to become Muslim. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you know, we could. All we have to do is say that. Um, you know, there's a the, the, look. There's a new thing that you can say that. Um, and you know, both Welsh coal miners and also. Uh, 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 academics, not in London, Oxford, or Cambridge. Academics, but in like other cities, they both love saying it. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And we it's it's a very sort of like app enabled religion now. Amazing things are happening in Saudi Arabia. The, the line mm, is happening. Yeah, they started building it. Yes. Yeah. They, they, they're really going for making it's, it look as the, like how long are they going to keep that up? Uh, the way That's of the future. It's a very long city. It could, it could be <laughs> the length of it. It's, it's unmanageable. <laughs> so, but that, 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 that's, that's Neom talk. That's for a future episode. Mm. Um, yeah, Tom Walker isn't here. We can't in all good conscience talk <laughs> no. about Neom without him. Uh, we have a qu we're not quarrate on yeah, that basis. No, that's so, correct. Yeah. I just want to say, I think that's a, ni a nice and un somewhat uncharacteristically optimistic place to end it. Uh, I want to say, Matt, do you have any final thoughts before we go on our merry way? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't... I think the... I'd like to bring back on the optimism. The optimism is exactly because I think we are facing an incredibly you know, painful, you know, traumatic winter that will not ease particularly and like moderate solutions to deep systemic crisis will be inadequate and so the optimism is say like really i think just cleaving to like actually the solutions the tools of public investment you know democratic ownership sort of social planning of the economy sort of you know rebalancing power at work expanding the realm of decommodification so people can live freely and well these really are the only like durable ways out of the crisis and so i think you know, the, the pessimism is the situation. The optimism is to say, well, we've got to just keep organizing and keep pushing strategically on those things because actually, you know, really in the current context, you know, these, these demands are not particularly, you know, radical at all. They're fairly moderate to demand that we can all just live thriving lives. And uh, with that, I want to say... Thank you very much for physically coming to the studio and talking to us today. Yeah, pleasure to, to be in the bunker. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, you can, you know what, we don't even, now that Liz Truss is no longer We can emerge. PM, we no <laughs> yes, longer yeah. actually need the bunker. Yeah. Uh, the atomic clock is now <laughs> one minute further from midnight. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, and I want to thank all of you out there for being our listeners. Mm. Um, and for listening to the free episodes, there's a Patreon. It's $5 a month. You can... Listen to more of this. The pound, now that Liz Truss is gone, is worth more. So get it while it's on sale. That's right. Um, 
we we I don't think we have Brisbane tickets left. I don't think so. No, no I don't believe so. But we do have tickets in Canberra. Hey, do you live in Brisbane and fancy a trip? <laughs> <laughs> you could come and see us in Canberra. Yeah, marketing. So, yeah, the political capital of Australia. There are also still tickets in Sydney because the venue is huge. Um, and uh, Melbourne, there are still some tickets for Britainology. Melbourne, Melbourne. If you want to go to normal TF in Melbourne, you are weeks late, pal. Mm. Uh, you really fucked it. Yeah, yeah, you wanted yeah. to go to normal TF in Brisbane, you should have acted ever so slightly also sooner. Also very exciting, our special edition TF Tour t-shirts, which will be on sale at all the dates, are being printed. That's it. They're actually Can't in they? Australia. If you want to find a TF Tour t-shirt now... Intercept the shipments. Yeah, you can uh, do like a kind of... Oh, please um, don't do that. Do it's the- been a real ball, like, <laughs> organizing the shipment. No, you, what you need to do, right is you need to steal an ambulance and a couple of uh, yep. trucks. Yeah, you, you need a guy with long like hair. Joker. Yeah, no, then yep. you, need, you need a guy with long hair, you need a guy I'm with a goatee. I'm going to miss the Wayne Grow jokes. Right? I'm going <laughs> to miss them. I thought I would have more time to elaborate on this bit, but no, those no. trusts failed me. No, no, mm. I'm afraid not. She, she went, she went in- out like Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> mm. uh, and so... Uh, so the, that's the Australia update. Uh, thank you for coming to our live show uh, this this last week, uh, and we will see you soon. But not before you check out uh, Commonwealth. Are you a policymaker? Do you need ideas? Well, mm. Commonwealth has some ideas that are lying around. Like, that sounds quite yeah. good. <laughs> Where is this? <laughs> to find some ideas. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, you should. Common Dash Wealth. Co.uk. Yeah, that's right. They run a great games too. <laughs> oh, always been a fan. Uh, yeah. So, oh, also, this is coming out on Monday, isn't it? It's coming out on Monday night. Oh, on Tuesday, the usual day it comes out. Does, the it, free episode. does it not come out at like Monday midnight night though? I consider Tuesday. that Tuesday. Go, let's go on. Okay, yeah, fine. It, whatever. It is Tuesday currently. Uh, the in the evening of Tuesday, the twenty fifth, I will be doing a show in Cambridge. Stand up. Do you live in Cambridge? Come to the ABC Theatre at eleven p.m. You can't be busy at eleven p.m. Who is? <laughs> I don't know. You, cool people. Clearly. Yeah, <laughs> me. That's <laughs> I'm the only guy. Yeah. I'm like I'm like the dark matter of society. Yeah. I'm the inverse yeah. of all that is holy. <laughs> he thinks crime is funny. Anyway, that's right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.